Welcome to this episode of Let's Chat. I'm your host, Chris Revel, coming at you from the Cat Cave in Providence, Rhode Island. What a great guest today. We have a KW Peary's second appearance on the show. So let me tell you how cool KW is. I was 40 minutes late to this podcast. The podcast said it's supposed to be an hour long. So we were supposed to start at 8. I thought it was supposed to start at 9. And at like 8.45 or whatever, I checked Facebook and he's like, we still doing this? I was like, oh my God, dude, I'm so sorry. So then I finally get on, set up. And then we have like a lot of technical issues, so we don't really start recording till nine. Meanwhile, this is the person who had to sit there forty minutes waiting for my ass just to show up, and then he still gave me one of the most fun episodes I think you could you're gonna hear. Uh, so thank you, KW, for being flexible and understanding and giving up so much of your time for this episode. Um, go back, check out his first appearance in the show. KW is a really cool guy. That episode we talk a lot more about music. This one's a little bit more TV-centered, which uh, which I had a lot of fun with. KW and I got connected through our mutual friend, Marissa Schwartz, who's a past guest of the show. She runs Gen Z Publishing, and when his uh, last book was coming out, she had mentioned uh, see if, if he wanted to come on, and we ended up getting along great, and that's why he's back again. So shout-out to Marissa, for, who, is, uh, who is just a wonderful person, and she's got to uh, check out her episodes. Check out GenZPublishing.com. So the reason that KW is here today, he is here to promote his new book, Purgatory, out now on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com. Uh, I was going to say Borders, but that doesn't exist anymore. And as well, Gen Z Publishing. Uh, he is a fucking, KW is a fantastic writer, author, lyricist, and a musician. We play a Marshall Peary project song at the end called Bourbon Women in Too Much Time. It's not usually the music I would like listen to, but I end up just really, really digging the song, and uh, it's fun to expand your horizons and listen to stuff that isn't just pop punk and ska. Uh, that's me, basically. Yeah, so what a what a great great episode! You're gonna have a lot of fun with this. I didn't realize how much the two of us fucking love TV, so that's cool. A lot of HBO talk. Anyway, um, let's see where you can find me. I'm also doing the coverage for uh, T- Core Temp Arts. TV Ate My Brain's uh, coverage of uh, Mr. Robot with my good buddy Dwight. We just did episodes 7, 8, and 9. I was a recent guest on Shark Dropper, so please uh, give that episode a download. It's called Blockbuster, uh, like the video store. And I also did a takeover of Hydrate Level 4. I invited a puppeteer, director, filmmaker guy, John Bristol, on to talk about the 1979 Muppet movie. That was a ton of fun. Uh, anyway, let's get to it. Let's Chat with Revel and Friends is part of Courts and Parts, a podcast network featuring pop culture, TV, and movie podcasts. Check out our other shows, That Popped This Live, Talking Shondaland, We Got Five, and TV Ate My Brain at courtsandparts.com. The opposite of a winner Remember when I used to eat sardines for dinner Peace to Raw G, Brucey B, Kid to Bring Funk, Master Flex, Love, Funk, Star, Ski Oh, thanks for coming back There's no greater joy that I get when people ask to come back on Well, thanks for having me I, Of course I appreciate, appreciate the opportunity to be on Yeah, I really liked, uh, if anyone's listening to this uh, KW is on Back in February, I don't know when it aired, but we recorded back in February. I remember it being very cold that day. <laughs> it was. Oh, it God. Was. <laughs> God, that was so long ago. Um, 
And you're still writing and I'm still podcasting, so we're both doing something right. I, I think so. I, I noticed that you were in the Huffington Post. Is that yes. correct? Yeah, yeah. They, well, oh, congrats, thank you. Congratulations thank you. on that. That's fantastic. Yeah, it made my parents cry, to be quite honest. <laughs> it was pretty sweet. Uh, I make I make my parents cry for other reasons. Yeah. It was uh, that was uh, the 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 story behind it. As I I got into the Split Cider, which is like a comedy blog that has been my like goal from day one to make it into. So mm-hmm. I was just happy as. Uh, Happy as you could be, and that's all I've ever wanted. And the gentleman, Mark, who wrote for it, his also post goes to HuffPost. He writes for the podcast for Huffington Post as well. So he does them that air in both. So I think it was like a Thursday, the split cider thing went up. I was so excited. And then the next day, so I was done right there. I'm like, my mom and dad were like, oh my God, we're so happy. The next day, to my surprise, I'm like, oh my God, I'm on the Huffington Post. I did not know this was happening. And uh, that was just... uh <clears throat> yeah, and uh, it it did everything I had thought it could do, and a lot more people listened than they used to since you were on last. So that's good for everyone. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's uh, just like anything else, you know, you you build it and they'll come. Uh, yeah, you'll build a dreams. Thank God you said that. Yeah. Oh my God, my <laughs> wife has never saw that movie. Oh my, I don't know that's why. A, that's a classic. Yeah, and like we're we're both kind of strange where we like hate sports but love sports movies yeah like so but that's like the perfect sports movie and James it's Earl Jones know, and a beautiful part of the country here in the midwest you know up is in it iowa, iowa. yeah yeah it's a beautiful beautiful piece of art and uh god i love that movie he's like if they build it yeah. and then and then there's is it shoeless joe jackson who comes steps over and has to die because he wants to save the little boy we have, yeah, uh, I believe, believe it is. And the actor yeah. from uh, 30-something and West Wing, I don't know his name, but the red-headed guy was like the evil... Oh, man. We're just, yeah. going, right, we're just going right in for it. <laughs> 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 we're here with K.W. Perry to talk about Field of Dreams, the movies from... <laughs> I don't know when. <laughs> 1980-something. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Kevin Costner, when he was like the, the guy. Yeah. He's still around, yeah. right? Yeah. What was he? He, just doing? he actually he actually has a band, um, and they're they're pretty decent. Um, I can't think of what the band's name is. Um, obviously, his name is uh, you know uh, prominently displayed on everything. Yeah, um, which you know makes sense. Yeah, there's like a list of musician actors. Uh, some good, some bad. Most notably, uh, Keanu Reeves in the band Dog Star. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember them? I, I, you know what? I don't think I do. No, um, there's nothing I, memorable I, other than I, Keanu Reeves. I think in the I, band. I mean, I think I heard heard about it, but I, it, Field of Dreams was 1989, according to, wow. uh, you know, according to our fancy Google system. Uh, Google.com. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah. And Jeff Bridges, uh, he's, I think, got a band. And obviously, yep. uh, Keeper Sutherland just put out a country record. So, really? Yeah, yeah, they're dabbling, you know. Some yeah. of these folks, uh, obviously, maybe that's their first love, and then they, you know, pay the bills. Billy Bob Thornton, another, you know, uh, he's got a band called the Boxmasters, and they're they're really good. They come really? through. They could. They usually come through Kansas City at Knuckleheads a couple times a year. Now, is that uh, what does he do? Sing or? He yeah, he's lead singer and uh, song. He writes songs and. 
a lot of the movies that he's um, that he's directed, I, I do believe, feature some of their songs in the movie. Damn. Even like, um, so he's one of the good. Didn't Patrick Stewart just put out a country album? There's, uh, yeah, it's possible. Then, um, then you have um, who is the really bad? Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow did a song <laughs> with Huey Lewis for Huey Lewis in the news. Yeah, and it it. I used to work at a grocery store, and they'd play that like twice a day, and it was the worst <laughs> song I've ever heard in my entire life. Yeah, but then yeah. you got the uh, like Donald Glover, who's like a, a young comedian actor guy, and uh, Childish Cambino mm-hmm. is he's probably getting more known for his music than he is from his acting. Right. And uh, <laughs> Jason Schwartzman, yeah, the guy from Phantom Planet. Yeah, you know, Jason Schwartzman, uh, you know, I'm a huge Jonathan Ames fan, and Lord to Death on HBO was yes. a really good. Yes, they were. It was really fantastic, and he was really, you know, he was a main character. Um, such an underrated, underappreciated, such a weird show. It, <laughs> I mean, the lineup: it's uh, Zach Galifianakis, yeah. <laughs> Ted Danson, yeah. and Jason Schwartzman. And Ted Danson's character was probably the best character I've ever watched. Outside of anything I've seen him in, on like Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yes. Like he was just so weird. Yeah, I loved it. I loved it so yeah, much. Yeah, bored to death. Uh, you know, and I've, I, like I said, I've been a Jonathan Ames fan for years. Uh, you know, really appreciate his work and uh, what I think that he well, he's he's the main guy. You know, he's he's the main writer now for the new series with the guy from Star Trek. Um, what is the name of the? Oh, oh, um, um, oh, hold on, I'm gonna get this. Uh, Blunt Talk. Blunt Talk. And that's another really quirky, Really cool, good show. I didn't know that's yeah, the same really person. Really cool show. Um, uh, you know, huge fan again. Uh, it just doesn't seem like, uh, you know, Ames can miss. Uh, he's just really, really solid. He has this way of, like, having, like, I want to say, like, narcissistic or delusional characters <laughs> exist in these kind of, like, eccentric world. But the world around them is all based in reality. But they're not aware of how idiotic they're coming off. Like <laughs> Patrick Stewart, whoever thought that guy could do comedy? Well, of course he can. He's a brilliant actor. But his comedic performance is just brilliant. It's fucking brilliant. Well, and I will say, you know, if you go back to his very first novella, um, I Pass Like Night, and then into that book of short stories that he did, um, uh, what was the name of it? Um, oh shoot! I it, it is it 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 mirrors bored to death, and then this new. I mean, those characters in the short stories are every bit as as quirky um, as as the uh, as the series portray. Is, what did he do before uh, Bored to Death? Well, you know, he, he's been a huge, I mean, a, a big time writer. Um, I I found him uh, reading that book of short stories called My My Less Than Secret Life. It came out in 2002, but he's written books. Uh, one of them's called The Alcoholic. One of them's called The Extra Man. Uh, one's called What Not What's Not to Love. But the the short stories and the very first work that he did in 19. 19- 89, a novella called I Pass Like Night. It's a short read, 
and it is absolutely vivid. I mean, it is. I, I was an instant fan the first time I read read his work, and and now even more so uh, because he's taken it to you know to the screen. That's awesome. That um, damn, he's been at it for a long time. Yeah, he, yeah, he has, um, and he's got quite of a his, you know, quite a history, you know. Uh, it's very interesting, and, and he, you know, he's a struggling, starving writer for a number of years, so he certainly deserves everything that he gets at this point. So, as a fellow writer, is that ever an opportunity that you're looking for that would you'd welcome, you would welcome to do screen? No, I'd love it. I, I would certainly. I mean, as a poet, it's it's a it's a real. Uh, you know, it, it's a real, uh, it probably won't ever happen, but I would certainly, I mean, it happened for Bukowski, but he, he was writing novels at that time mm-hmm. whenever, you know, whenever he got the nod, um, uh, you know, but, uh, you never know. I, <laughs> anything can happen. You really, you know, you, it, it takes one, you know, one shot. I think, uh, I think Ames was invited on Conan O'Brien and and some of the other you know uh, late night shows and you know was just kind of discovered that way. Similar to Dave Sedaris, I mean, and Amy Sedaris, but Dave Sedaris particularly. Uh, uh, you know, David Letterman was a huge uh, you know a huge fan of really good work, and so he would have folks on that were unknown. And I really miss that. Obviously, Conan still does that, but um, does Colbert do that? Because he took over for Letterman. He, he does. Um, and I have to, you know, I have to kind of confess, I've really not watched his show as much as I intended to. No, me neither. It's it's. I don't really watch late night. <laughs> I'm not sixty, so yeah. I, I I'm a I'm a YouTuber. Like I, what's, whatever whatever strikes the next day, yeah. I watch online. If there's a band that's gonna be on and I know about it, you know, uh, I will I will tune in specifically for that. But generally, I I pick it up the next day, like you said, on YouTube, um, or you know, right on on their on their site because they usually post a video yeah. of what they've done. Um, you know, in this in this uh, day and age of uh, you know being able to do everything commercial free. I mean, I, I watched Netflix predominantly yeah, or too. HBO go. Yeah. Um, me too. So, 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 you know, I, I guess I want what I want when I want it and I want it right now <laughs> without commercials. No, absolutely. So, I, I they like, it's, it's incredible. You know, the one late night person, there's two. Well, Conan will always be my favorite cause he's always been, but it's been, uh, the John Oliver, and uh, Samantha B this year have really become the ones I find I'm watching the most. But with Samantha B, I just watch her on YouTube, and John Oliver, I have HBO Go, so I watch it on that. Now I will say on Netflix, uh, I watch uh, Chelsea three times a week, um, and it's just that I I watched her show on E for for a number of years, and and obviously have watched you know her stand up early on. I think she's really. You know, oh, she's kind of so a great. smart gal, and yeah, and, you know, so I have to, I have to root for her, and and certainly the guests that she's had on her show on Netflix so far have been really, really good. How does that work? Is it every day? There's a new episode. It's Wednesday, Thursday, Friday every week. Huh. So uh, I would, you know, if your listeners uh, have Netflix, I would certainly recommend that. Um, 
it, it's a it's a top notch show. It's better than anything on on late night TV by far. She really took a, a risk by doing that. Good for good for her. She always <laughs> seems as someone yep. who's like ahead of the curve. She is, and you know, I, I think this is a good fit for her because she has total creative control. There's no one, you know, uh, in her ear telling her that she has to do something a certain way. And I think that's probably why things didn't work out long term with E. Um, oh, yeah, and so Netflix, to Netflix just works better. And you know, the Netflix um, original programming—they're continuing to really take it to the next level. Blowing. I mean, well, obviously, we're gonna. I'm guessing you're gonna talk about Stranger Things. Well, I I was kind of thinking. Uh, have you watched the um, the episodes of Flaked? No, is that good? It's absolutely. It's it's uh, Amy Poehler's ex-husband. Uh, from Saturday Night Live. Oh, Will Arnett. Yeah, he's fantastic in that show. Oh, I heard it was... Netflix is so strange uh, because, like, they just put shows out and they don't really tell you. It's just, like, very word of mouth. Like, there's no budget for anything besides, like, Orange is the New Black and maybe a couple superhero shows. Yeah. Uh, Flaked is is Will, and it's a very dark character. Uh, it, it would kind of somewhat remind you of Californication with David Duchovny. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you watched that. And that was no. loosely based on Bukowski. Okay. Um, it was like a modern-day, you know, fancier version of Bukowski, obviously. I, I had but, seen a few episodes. I didn't. I never had Showtime, so I just yeah. never had a way to see it. it it's it's available on Netflix now, kind of like the, the series Weeds. Uh, it was a Showtime oh, yeah. original series. I did see Weeds. I, I did. And, yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, fan, that was really a good series. There's just a lot of old show, you know, old series that are available on there um, that I found, you know, certainly through last winter, it was just good. It to, was one of those winners. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. What's the uh, old show that you watch now? Like, um, do you have any shows on Netflix that like people would be like, you still watch that? Like for me, it's uh, Third Rock for the Sun. Oh yeah. I yeah, still watch that, that on Netflix. That's consistently. a good one. Yeah, that's a really good one. Uh, you know, obviously Breaking Bad's been off for a while, but that's not very old. But I, yeah. I do revisit those and that's the Mad Men episodes. I, yep. I look at. My wife watches. Can, uh, what is she watching? Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I could hear in the yeah. background right now. <laughs> yep. I, but uh, yeah, and I, I rotate through a lot of West Wing, Scrubs. Um, yeah. God, what else? Scrubs was a great series. Yeah, it's uh, one of my. I think it's one of my favorites. I was thinking about that recently. I'm like, I think it hits all my criteria because it makes me laugh, it makes me cry. I watch it over and over and over and over. Yeah. It just had the unfortunate like bad season that people kind of try to skip for. I forget about. Well, and you know, King of Queens isn't available on there yet, but that no. that kind of, that that series I really enjoyed. Similar to like Three's Company back mm-hmm. in the old old days, yeah, you know, just good um, sitcom, just good, you know, John Ritter and Three's Company oh, and then Kevin James, uh, you know, and, and King of Queens. I I don't know. I can watch those episodes over and over again. Did you, Hulu has a lot of the old TV shows? So, but so I was actually watching Taxi because I had never seen Taxi because I'm 32. And that's just a little bit before my time, but everyone, I, I'm a huge Simpsons fan, and the more I find out is everyone from Taxi, come, everyone from The Simpsons basically <laughs> comes from Taxi, James L. Brooks, Sam Simon. So I was like, yeah. uh, and the whole idea was to make The Simpsons like the ta- animated version of Taxi, just like 
a heartfelt sitcom. So I've been watching Taxi. I'm like, oh my god, this is good. Yeah, Taxi. I, I can remember. I can vividly remember my folks not ever missing an episode of Taxi. At the point in time where they were watching Taxi, I really didn't have a full appreciation for how uh, great that show was. Um, now, obviously, when you go back, like you said, and, and and revisit those episodes, you you realize just how cool that series is. And um, you know, and kind of as a sidebar, uh, Danny DeVito and It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, especially the early episodes, he's the same genius he was, you know, in the role that he played in Taxi. I mean, he's he's just out there, and I love that. I need to watch that show. Everyone tells me I just never have. You'll enjoy it, especially I like I, I said the the early the early episodes. You'll yeah, you'll definitely dig that. And one of those dudes lives where I live, lives in Rhode Island. Uh, Charlie Day lives here. Okay, I've never seen him. I mean, what does that mean? It's just like, well, he probably just means he owns a home somewhere that I'll never. But yeah, I I need to. I know it sounds so good. Yeah. No, it's it's good, you know, and that's the great thing about um, having everything on demand at this point, or, or almost everything on demand. You'll be able to go back and and revisit things that you know we wouldn't have had the benefit of of being able to do years ago. I can't keep even up. A, even a decade ago. Oh God, I can't even keep up with what's currently on. I'm just like I don't know. I'm just <laughs> I'm still right. trying to like, and I have this terrible habit of like. When I finally have time to watch all the shows I want to watch, I'm like, I don't know. I don't feel like starting anything new. <laughs> so <laughs> so right, I'll just watch right. like old episodes of Parks and Rec or something instead of like actually watching, I don't know, like Sons of Anarchy I never watched or Game of Thrones is a big one that people like that I don't watch. I, w- I watched a few, uh, uh, well, few years of Sons of Anarchy and it kind of jumped the shark for me, you know, about season four. Mm. It was like they were really stretching. Um, not that it was bad, it just, for whatever reason, didn't hold my attention. Um, you said you and I found, that, I found that to be true with Dexter, too. It was really oh, hard for me to watch, uh, you know, beyond a certain number of seasons. Season four. Yeah. After I, John I, Lithgow. And then it, yeah, and I was really struggling. It, and here's the, th- the funniest thing is Dexter was on for, what, eight years? Seven mm-hmm. years. They had their season finale the same night as Breaking Bad, and no one talked about Dexter. And they did a show for eight years. Uh, yeah. Dexter, from my understand, from what I've read, is that Showtime wouldn't let them kill him, and they 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 would. The creator wasn't allowed to have the freedom they wanted, and get so they had to let Dexter live. Where Breaking wow. Bad did the opposite and became. I mean, it had a whole spinoff yeah. show. I mean, now we have Better Call Saul, which is uh, amazing. Oh yeah, better yeah, Better Call Saul is a fantastic show um i watched the the first the first uh season and i caught a few of the second season but they'll be available on netflix yeah that's how i watched it i burned through it and i'm a a big bob odenkirk fan from like mr show and like to see him become such a serious actor he's so good but there's so much humility and like comedic timing he's such a brilliant guy he he's so down to earth and genuine you know almost shy you know when you see him interviewed um and and then the older gentleman that's on that's on there that plays the oh mike yeah oh wow. god uh what jonathan banks I, th- I think and i've seen him in other things now he, and he's just fantastic 
fantastic. He scares the bejesus out of you when he wants to. And it's, and it's kind of cool. He's that actor that now you go back and be like, oh my God, you were in everything. <laughs> yeah. I can't yeah, believe I'm, it. Yeah. Now, you mentioned you're an HBO goer. So are you watching, uh, V for Silicon Valley? I, I'm watching Silicon Valley and yes. that gets my stamp of endorsement five stars across the board. Uh, the other one that I'm watching right now, I was just telling my niece who is, she's interning as a school teacher here in Blue Springs is vice principals. Oh yes. Um, Danny and, McBride. Yes. Yeah. Yes. The very first episode is Bill Murray at the flagpole. It's, right. It, I was so that sets the, that sets the tone and, Every episode just seems to make, you know, just it's taken it to that next level um, for me. And and I kind of like that, you know, that goofy comedy type mm-hmm. stuff. So, but it's smart. Um, like, it's not like it's – did you ever watch Eastbound and Down? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I watched that entire oh, So Because, like, I like it because it's, like, it's solid story. Like, there's a really good story structure. Yeah, it is. And then whatever you think is going to happen doesn't happen. And it's so rid- – it's just what's the episode when he's like on a jet ski with a stripper and then he fucking throws her <laughs> off and then just leads away. Yeah. It's so fucked up and it's yeah. so wrong. And there's moments you start to root for this character and he's such a piece of shit. Yeah, Danny McBride is. Yeah, I mean he's just really. She, oh, he's yeah, so funny. yeah yeah he is, and he'll he'll continue to do series like these. And you know his his counterpart. I you know I'm not terribly familiar with him. Uh, in Vice Principals, but I have seen him in other work. I, I don't, I can't put my finger on what I've seen him in, but he's really good. Um, he, he kind of, he kind of takes it to the next level too, which is, which is, uh, nice to see. You know, like you're saying, like Silicon Valley, um, oh man, they're, they're, they're putting out quality programming and really trying to en- enhance their offering to attract people in to to watch i like that this season of silicon valley with i won't spoil it but they kind of had one storyline going through maybe three four episodes <laughs> and then there's that scene where they kind of do like the heist kind of slow-mo thing and, yeah. <laughs> and then he just trips and they just have to throw away that storyline and and, and and completely zig like you know when you're watching a show you're like all right i kind of see where the building you know audiences are smarter now i'm like i see where this is going this is going to be the next eight episodes i'm okay with it but and then they did that thing where he trips and falls and i'm like <laughs> oh my god this is like breaking breaking bad we're like when yeah. when he confronts uh, Hank eight episodes earlier before you expect it, you're like, <laughs> "What are you gonna do next?" And it's yeah. so fun. That well, show is so funny. Like, I mean, that's a and show. Don't we, oh, and don't ahead. we all have a and don't we all have a friend like Gilfoyle? <laughs> Just, we, do. we all do. Uh, we all do. Guys, don't you see? You're each other's best friends. <laughs> It's just like it's so it's funny and I uh, I really like this HBO approach of ten episodes of just good instead of twenty six. Eh. Yeah, right. Yeah, there's no need to to overdo it uh, and and to uh, develop characters so quickly that you run out of things to talk about. Yeah. And I felt like that's what happened. Like a, like we were talking about with Dexter. It just it, it was just more of the same, and there was really not a whole a whole lot we were at like a dead end street and they just kept they it just kept the record just kept skipping <laughs> and part of my problem with uh dexter was and this can be snobbish but they they almost um 
they changed the rules because he was supposed to be a sociopath, a serial killer with trying to like maintain some morality, which is, you know, not accurate, but it's okay. But the next season they try to make it so it's, it's a serial killer sociopath becoming human by finding love with a child, has a child yeah. and he's trying to find <laughs> love, but still struggling with the morality of killing. But like, yeah. that wasn't the show I signed up for. Like, I liked the, that he was, I liked. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I liked when he wasn't falling in love with Julia Stiles, and she's a great actress. And oh, the the ice truck killer, the oh, the man. gal gears, that was all good. Oh, the ice truck killer, um, Jimmy Smits. Yep. Oh man, that guy yep. was good. Or then well, John Lithgow. Jesus. The interesting thing about Schmitz is he he is in Sons of Anarchy. Uh, I can't remember which season. Uh, there may have been more than one season, and he really did kind of – he was like the glue that held everything kind of together there as well. Um, it made the it made the, the storyline much more interesting with him as, as a character, and I almost think they killed him off uh, too quick in Dexter. They should have kept him as a yeah. – as a character that continued to, you know – to be, you know, prevalent in their storyline. So, and the, the the truth, he was, I think, is a better sociopath because he's likable, um, and <laughs> right. which is accurate. I've so I I've worked in a I've worked in mental health for a very long time. I've mm-hmm. I've worked with sociopaths who are like that lovable and likable and high and hold high levels of position and just not the killing part because it's right. complex, like it's environmental factors. But I was like, oh my god, he was. Oh, he was so charming, and he's like, "Ah, you and Dex, right. you and me, Dex, we're not so different after all." Oh, well, and anything you read about Bundy, he was the same way. He was yeah. able to convince girls that he was, you know, just Mister Charming, and you know, obviously, that was a you know terrible mistake on their part in trusting oh, him. But and you know, being he, a clean, he had the looks, and he, yeah, yeah, white he had guy. that, yeah, yeah, you know, he's like a clean cut looking. J. Crew model. He's a white dude. Like, um, right. people don't have a prejudice against him immediately, and he's one of America's biggest serial killers. Big or guy. even Jeffrey Dahmer. I don't know why. I feel maybe a lot of people did this, but I had a phase where I was like obsessed with serial killers because I think that's all that was ever on MSNBC for a while. Yeah, right, right. So right. I watched every Jeffrey Dahmer special you can imagine when it was on TV. Like same thing. Like just a very monotone, quiet guy. Seemed like the yeah. IT like. Almost like a Bill Gates or like an IT nerd, right? And, right. Yeah. And had had heads in his freezer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was like a story where his dad almost opened up one of the things and with human body parts, but he lied to his dad and said it was porn. Yeah. I can't blame the father. Like if so, your kid says oh, he's no. got porn, it's porn. <laughs> and I'm sure you've seen the interviews with his dad. I mean, his dad is just mortified by, you know, yeah, what, something, something's not right. Was. Something happened, yeah. like something happened to to Dahmer to make him that way. Like I think there's the sociopathic aspect, but there's a trauma. Maybe his dad. I mean, it was, I don't know. Something. I'm, yeah, something happened. Yeah, you're right. It has to be. Maybe it wasn't the family. It, he could have been raped. He could have been molested by a family member or friend. I don't know. Yeah, usually there's something there. Obviously, I mean, he was yeah. he was killed in prison, so oh, yeah. we probably won't ever know the truth. And yeah. that's you know that is unfortunate. I mean, there are some uh, uh, Netflix document Netflix documentaries now where they actually interview these guys on death row, and it is fascinating to hear what they have to say about 
kind of what makes them tick. Oh, you know, yeah. why they did what they did. It, 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 it's bone chilling, but at the same time, it's very revealing. Um, and it's very interesting. To me, it's very interesting. No, absolutely. I watched some documentary on Netflix about the Oklahoma City bomber guy. I forgot his name. Is that McVeigh? McVeigh, yes. Yeah, you know, he, I was surprised he got caught because he was driving without a license plate. Yeah. I, <laughs> like, like yeah, he wanted well, to get caught. He was, he was kind of already on the radar. I guess he was actually down in Waco, uh, passing out anti-government literature and selling bumper stickers outside the gates at Waco before they act, before they, they burned it down. Oh. Um, and so he was already kind of on a watch list before, obviously this was well before 9-11. Oh, yeah, before yeah. Before there was an actual watch list, but he was on, he was in the black book already so they kind of had had somewhat of an idea and then when they got the description from the guy at the rental agency they kind of figured out they kind of connected the dots and said oh it's this guy and he's got a military background and you know this all makes sense and obviously he was picked up like you said (laughs) with a uh, in a car with expired tags not even that far away he was minutes away from being released, actually. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's just... Um, he was a, he had a you know, whole... Like, sometimes karma catches up with you, and obviously in this yeah. case, that is absolutely what happened. He had of sound. this whole like manifesto and intellectual reason of why he did it. It had yes. nothing to even do with Oklahoma. It was just more of like that was the closest federal building he was near. Well, he he cased here in Kansas City. Yeah, he he did a lot. Of, yeah, oh. he did. He he looked at a number of federal buildings before he decided. And they said that the reason he chose Oklahoma City was because there was a, a daycare center, which you know that you know that just rips your you know rips your guts out when you somehow you, that makes you it worse. That. Yeah. But uh, and and when you see the images of that day, I I remember. Exactly where I was at um, when I when I turned on the TV and got the news that that this had happened, I was actually living in in Memphis, Tennessee, fin- finishing out my Navy career, um, and it, it similar to 9/11. I'll never forget where I was or how that made me feel. Mm. Uh, those those two feelings were very similar. Obviously, 9/11 was more significant just because of the nature and the, you know, uh, you know, the magnitude of what what happened. But uh, it was a very similar visceral reaction that, oh, that yeah. you get when when something like that occurs, and um, you you just have this feeling of helplessness, and then you go through all those stages of loss, and anger is certainly one of those, and you just want you want justice, and you want it right then. Um, which is impossible, but at that point in time, you know, you cycle through all of those stages. Was, cause I think I, I was young. That was probably the first time I ever experienced, like, I, tur- I remember just turning on the TV. I was either home from school or something and just like not understanding. I was pretty young. I was, no, I was old enough to know what was happening, but like, yeah, that was the first time I've had that same feeling since like a 9 11 where like, oh, I just, I'll have that image. I'm like, well, Maybe for me, that was like, oh my God, there's evil in the world. 
Well, and the, and the visceral reaction you get anytime there's a, a traumatic event, uh, you know, same thing happened to me whenever the space shuttle exploded or, you know, I can remember vividly being in the first grade when Ronald Reagan was shot. And I, you know, it, it's just weird when something happens that you're not expecting the type of, uh, of reaction that you get, whether you're close to those folks or, or not, mm-hmm. it, it just, you know, it really, um, uh, you know, it echoes throughout the whole country. You know, it, it affects folks, uh, you know, uh, in so many ways. But, I mean, uh, certainly, at, you know, and, and there appears to be such a division in America today. But I know how things felt immediately after 9-11. And I know yeah. that when the chips are down... We are united here in in the United States, and it only takes one event like that to to reinforce the fact that we do genuinely care about one another. If, if there's an outside party trying to harm us, Did, um, was 24 hour news around when Oklahoma happened? Because that's back it, in it, the day. It, it was, um, and I do remember. I turned on CNN. That's where I. That's where I. I, I saw it the at, you know from from the outset, but we were we were in the early innings of of uh, cable news. Certainly, I think it may have predated uh, Fox News, or Fox News certainly was in its infancy at that. Point I don't think time. there's so even CNN, Fox. Yeah, yeah, no, CNN was was the was the, the one. Main, yeah, no MSNBC, the, no, no whatever no, else there is. Yeah. Yeah, it was well before MSNBC ever thought about, you know. Uh, oh my God! So being the, relevant. These are the times when NBC and Fox would just cut to local news for the whole day. They interrupt. They interrupt everyone's soap opera. And, and we would, we would. <laughs> that would. I would end up like if you were in a different state. So like when that happened, I would. They would just show us the feed of uh, Oklahoma <laughs> right. City. So I would. You're seeing like yeah. a local newscaster in yeah. a state you don't live in. Yeah. I mean, it, it's similar to to the old Jeff Foxworthy bit where he said, you know, if the president was on, your night was shot. You had three channels. When I, when I was growing up, you had ABC, NBC, CBS, and oh, they God. all carried the, the they all carried the president whenever yeah. he'd come on. <laughs> um, so you were just, you know, you were just screwed if <laughs> if that was if that was the evening program. That's a pretty you know, good joke. Yeah, yeah. It was a really, yeah, it's really relevant joke. Um, you know, yeah, that's interesting. Foxworthy early on, uh, yeah, he was, he was really, he was really sharp. Uh, still, still a really sharp guy, but I seen his last stand up and certainly not as sharp as he used to be. He didn't have to be. He's, you know, he's got more money than he'll ever be able to spend or his kids' kids will be able to spend. Yeah, he seems like one of those comedians who does it. I mean, any comedian who gets success and still does it, it's because they love stand-up. And, and, he's, and he really is, uh, you know, a down-to-earth guy, and I, I respect that. Yeah, I remember um, – that's funny. that I'm just thinking about that joke because I'm thinking flash forward to 2014, 2015 <laughs> when um, Obama – announced that Osama bin Laden had been killed. I watched that on a laptop on YouTube or some yep. streaming site in my bedroom with my now wife. And but like <laughs> and, and then this, and then I got bored and then I went to go watch something else. <laughs> this last election cycle, you know, the, the one that we're in currently, uh-huh. it's Netflix every night. I don't want to have to look at that crap. I no. I'm sorry. I just I'm I I get wore out with it just getting on my 
my Facebook feed <laughs> with no, all of the crazy rhetoric. It, it, it's absolutely crazy. And Twitter's getting that way, where it's, where it's jam-packed with people's agenda. And I really, I, I prescribe to the book of Carlin. So uh, <laughs> I'm, uh, yeah, yeah. He predicted the future, and here we are. Um, so he, yeah, you know, he and Bill Hicks, um, you know, were, were the Nostradamus of of our generation. Um, you know, they predicted what's going on right now in you know in Technicolor. <laughs> so um, oh, yeah, I'm I'm good with uh, uh, you know just. I guess tuning out, and I hate to be that way, you know. I mean, I'm, you don't have I'm to in say my, who. I'm, yeah. I'm in my 40s, but I, you know, it is so discouraging to see a cartoon character uh, be in the in the final round, yeah. so to speak, no, of I this mean, reality like, of this of this horrible reality series. I don't understand anyone out there who doesn't know, regardless of who it is, even though I think it should be one or the other. Uh, yeah. How is there anyone undecided to be like, oh, I don't know, I don't see a difference. I'm like. Yeah. Or you can go third party. I don't give a shit. It's just like, how is there anyone undecided right now? I don't need to. I listen to the radio in the morning. Like I, I listen. I know what's going on. I stop, and then I have my other hobbies I can continue with because I don't get too. I don't want to get. I don't want to get my life sucked into the 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 road show that is Donald Trump. Uh, the, God, it's annoying because like I listen well, to like the radio, and, and then I'm like, all right, it's the same story every day. It's just the same story. And and the reality is the average everyday working guy and gal are flat ass screwed because special interest oh, has I know. bought <laughs> and paid for our Voice elected over. officials. And the only way that we remedy this is to establish term limits across the board and not elect all lawyers to our House and Senate. You can't get a group of lawyers to agree on what to have for lunch, let alone what to pass and we've been so stagnant in Washington for so long that's why we're in the predicament that we're in and until folks like you know uh, I guess somebody that's got more money than me uh, gets behind somebody honest I think we're probably you know headed down the rabbit hole and you don't watch Veep? <laughs> yeah. Have you? Yeah. Y- yes. Oh, um, you know what's and- funny because I love the season and I listened to an interview is they were at, they were talking about how when they're writing this season they were having arguments of what would be within the the realm of realism <laughs> and how Veep is so more tame than this year's election cycle. Right. It well, almost makes they- Veep not look as good as it should because it's like, well, yeah, well, of course I'm- that could happen. Everything else already happened. <laughs> Well, and one of the writers was on Chelsea, and he said, we try to stretch our stories to make them seem unreal, and I'll be damned if, you know, two months down, three months down the line, that it actually happens. What we what we do on the show, actually, something similar will occur. Well, it's very strange. They asked one of the, the showrunner, they're like, did you, would you guys a year ago write a storyline of having the first lady plagiarize a speech from the opposite party? And he's like, well, 
maybe. I mean, she wouldn't rip off someone from the opposite party. We would have her rip off the same party because, you know, in Veep, the whole thing is right. you don't know which party they're a part of. Everyone thinks it's the other one. So yeah. it's never a clear-cut Democrat-Republican thing, which right. is brilliant. Then, and yeah. they're like, but they're like, no, in all honesty, we think that storyline would be too false and not true to our show. And here we are. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and and I think the guy is like, and prove me wrong, and they proved me wrong. <laughs> oh. Well, I guess we should. I wow, I didn't look at the clock. That was pretty quick. But we should pivot to uh, your new book. Uh, we'll put an intro in front too, as well. But uh, let's hear all about Purgatory. Well, Woo! Purgatory, yeah, this is the the second release. It's the second collection, and in this collection, uh, we're we're letting folks know that I am a lyricist predominantly. But we're, you know, it's poetry and lyrics. It's a, you know, uh, it's a, it's a solid collection. I feel like we've taken it kind of to the next level. And, uh, and then I'm currently working on, uh, on a next release, um, called Wicked Rhythm. Uh, and we'll be planning, uh, to discuss this with, uh, Marissa about maybe a, a May, uh, 2017 release for it. And, uh, a, a very talented uh, graphic artist uh, and so- singer-songwriter from Texas by the name of Javi Garcia. He's a painter. He's gonna. He's doing the cover artwork for uh, Wicked Rhythm as we speak. So really excited about that. Um, uh, Is this all on Gen Z? It's all on Gen Z Publishing. And uh, speaking of Gen Z Publishing, uh, Marissa. You know, she's going gangbusters, and let me tell you, Gen Z Publishing is the, you know, they're they're also taking it to the next level. She continues to sign amazing authors and poets. My friend uh, Brad Fairs out of uh, uh, Okeechobee, Florida, just signed a deal with Gen Z. Wow. His uh, his new book, Celtic Cow Hunter, uh, will be out. Uh, Brad Fairs is a rancher, a painter, a poet, and a lawyer. He is the depths of his water. <laughs> uh, I can't even uh, describe how how fantastic this book is going to be. So, uh, Marissa, hats off. Uh, you know, all I can say is uh, she is. Uh, She's she she has the goods and it and it's really gonna be a fantastic 2000 uh, end of 2016 into 2017. Um, I'm just so happy to be on on this train. Uh, so many young authors that are getting the recognition that they deserve. Uh, R.J. Rogue. Um, uh, I I can't even name them all. There's so many. Marissa, you know I mean? Marissa is the kind of person you know when you meet someone and you're like. You're going to be more successful than me, and that's okay. Anything that I can do to help, you know, the mission at Gen Z Publishing, I, I want to do that. Um, obviously, like Guy Clark said, um, there ain't no money in poetry. That's what sets the poet free. I've, I've had all the freedom I can stand. I understand <laughs> that there's not a lot of money in poetry. However, um, whatever I can do to contribute... Um, uh, to the mission at Gen Z, I, I want to do that and continue to, uh, you know, support and cross promote the work that they're doing there because it's really, really important for folks to to have an opportunity to read these young authors. Oh, that's so nice of you. You're supposed to come to plug yourself and you plug everyone else. 
Well, I mean, that's that's kind of what it's the all Gen about. Z and, and yeah, it really is. We're really a family, and it's a group of folks who have really never met in person, but you get the sense, especially if you follow us on Twitter or Facebook, just how much we genuinely care about one another and support one another in the work that we do. Um, it's really important for us as, as a smaller independent publisher um, to represent Marissa and all the hard work that she does for us. Um, she's out there, you know, at book fairs and, and uh, online and doing whatever she can to promote our work. And uh, there's no one else in, in the publishing industry today doing that. And that, and that's on an international level. So she, she certainly is delivering, uh, for folks like me and Brad and RJ and, you know, a number of other authors, uh, in the Gen Z stable. So we owe it all to her. Do you see any parallels with your music projects as well with the publishing of just like a group of just community of great people trying to make art? Well, you know, whenever I, when uh, Kenny and I started with Marshall Perry Project back in 2005, uh, Americana was known, but obviously Americana music and folk music has really gone through what I consider to be uh, a great renaissance period where it's come to uh, a, a greater public awareness, and, and certainly there are more and more artists adding to that uh, all of the time. There's, you reach a saturation point in which you have to kind of figure out who who's in which silo. But uh, and I'm not exactly sure why we need silos. But no anyway, to, to to answer your question though, it it, it has been. Uh, quite a, a uh, an interesting development. You know, we, we've always self-published our work, but these smaller independent uh, record labels have really done uh, well in, in getting uh, these uh, young artists and older artists that have been forgotten about uh, the attention that they deserve and getting them spun on the radio at least on Americana radio stations and college radio stations across the country and internationally. And you see a number of, of uh, inter, you know, Americana artists traveling internationally now, uh, playing, you know, overseas. And, and that's, that's really a, a good situation. And just this week, one of the Americana artists uh, by the name of Sturgill Simpson uh, issued a public letter out to the Academy of Country Music uh, and said, you know, listen, uh, you're basically trying to steal Merle Haggard's name and attach it to an award to benefit your profit margin, and it's not cool. Um, and it created a, I mean, it went viral, obviously, um, and created quite an, an uh, you know, uh, an interesting discussion uh, within the music community whenever he, you know, whenever he went out in public and said that. Um, but I am in agreement. I mean, certainly country music has definitely uh, deviated from what we know to be as as country music. It's gone more in the in the in the realm of of crap, which is country rap, which isn't really it's not true to to any of the foundation 
of of what we know to be country music. Not not to say that there's not great country music being made because there is. It's just not being played on the radio. Um, and so I, I do I do sense kind of like back in the in the uh, 80s when Randy Travis hit after kind of the the disco country era. Um, <laughs> it, I gotta it, look that up. It, it all it all kind of come full circle, and I, I can kind of sense that Nashville is going to have to recalibrate and allow some of these guys that are doing to, the traditional stuff in. And you know, one of the one of the guys right now that's just not going to cover off the ball is a guy by the name of Cody Jinks in Texas, but he is traveling all over the country and he's gaining momentum. Another guy. Uh, out of Texas by the name of Jason Eady, uh, Adam Hood, uh, Jason Bowen. There's a number of guys that have been doing it for a long time that really deserve uh, an opportunity to be heard on the radio uh, on a mass scale. Uh, terrestrial, uh, terrestrial radio will play whoever's paying the bills. Um, so. <laughs> Oh yeah, that's right. Payola's live and well. Um, it's just in the form of advertising now. They yep. they hide it, and, you know, and they sit, you know, they want folks to really think that these artists that they're pushing are the latest and greatest thing. They could care less what they're playing on the radio as long as they're making money. And so, you know, uh, the the few big labels that have survived the digital era, um have just dumped money into radio stations to push their latest single, whatever it is, um, which not taking anything away from Taylor Swift, but, and she is a, I mean, she's a solid writer, but um, that's what's created how big she has become. It, you know, they've, they've put out a lot of money to promote her and have her, music played on every country radio station. Oh, she's just a pop star. Yeah. Well, and you know, a good it, one. It's been it well, and it's been true. I mean, it's been true. It happened with Garth Brooks. I mean, it it it's happened in our in our history. Yeah, yeah, Chris Gaines. That's one that's that's seen a a landfill near you. There's probably yeah. millions of those CDs buried somewhere. Um and that doesn't and that doesn't discount his early work because his early work was really uh really good stuff um but yeah obviously with chris gaines he he jumped the shark and and he went into hiding after that and uh, he's resurfaced and and i'm sure that he's he's got something uh in his back pocket for us um he won't go out uh that way he'll he'll certainly and any he, he's continuing to tour with the old material and do very well. And, um, you know, so, uh, you know, and he's more country than any of these guys that, that Luke Bryan or any of these other dudes that are, that are out there, uh, you know, uh, Kenny Chesney, any, any of these guys out, out there, uh, saying that they're country and they're really not actually Kenny Chesney is probably more country than a lot of these younger guys that are doing it. But, um, I'm not hating on them. That's just, you know, that's just kind of the, the way it is. They've sent a lot of guys out to pasture like Dwight Yoakam and uh, John Anderson and uh, Alan Jackson. There, there's just a lot of the, the old school guys, Tracy Lawrence. Um, 
Mark Chestnut, the guys that really did uh, put out uh, good quality traditional country music that have just kind of been sent out to pasture and have had to either do it on their own or end up on an Americana record label just to try to to get their music out any way that they can. Um, so I'm hoping that, you know, uh, this week, uh, the public letter going out from Sturgill Simpson, who is really hot right now in Americana music circles, that things will uh, evolve and that country music will will get you know get back on kind of back on track, so to speak. Oh, that's excellent, man. Um, so where before we kind of wrap it up, I um. I, I usually record a little bit shorter in the summer because my room is extremely, sure. no, extremely no. hot. <laughs> okay. I'm sticking to a chair. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So uh, where uh, do we miss anything? We covered the book. Um, yeah, Purgatory is available. It'll be available on September the 9th on Amazon and at barnesandnoble.com. Um, my first book, Tales of Receding Hairline, you'll be able to find it same same place. Um and I'm I'm gonna do a, a live reading at Inklings Books on uh, September the 22nd uh, here in Blue Springs, and uh, you know to promote the book. And uh, certainly you can follow me on Facebook at KW Peary uh, Lyrics and Poetry, or um, on Twitter at KW Peary. That's uh, KW P-E-E-R-Y. Um, and thanks again uh, for having me on Let's Chat. Uh, oh, Chris, no, thank you for coming I, I back. I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, uh, let me know if there's anything that I can do uh, to help cross-promote. And thanks again. Well, I um, you'll have to come back for the next book. It will keep this like a thing. I love having return guests. Uh, if anyone listened, we literally just turned on the <laughs> microphone, started talking about TV, and then, oh my god, it was 40 minutes, we forgot to bring up why we came here. Um, yep. is, is, can we add a Marshall Perry song if you want to send something over? I could tag it along the end. Sure, I'd be happy to do that. Beautiful, I'll, and uh, I'll, that's uh, everything. I'll, I'll, I'll send one over, and thanks again. All right, you have a good rest of your evening. Alright, you too. Uh, have a good night. Alright, you too. Bye.
Hey, what do you listen to? Blood, Guts, and Blu-ray. What's Blood, Guts, and Blu-ray? You've never heard of Blood, Guts, and Blu-ray? I've never heard of Blood, Guts, and Blu-ray. Blood, Guts, and Blu-ray is a horror movie podcast. They talk about horror movies they love and even the ones they hate. They're actually really entertaining. You can listen to them on iTunes. Well, what if I don't have iTunes? And you can find them on Stitcher or YouTube. Or we could listen together. Yeah, that sounds great. So, your place and mine. Wait, did you hear that? Hear what? <laughs> but I didn't even get a chance to listen to Blood, Guts, and Blu-ray. Blood, Guts, and Blu-ray will never die, but you will. Listen now on iTunes, Stitcher, and YouTube before it's too late. Part of the Core Temp Arts Podcast Network.